Welcome to Valley Lights Church Online. Hey, I'm Bruce, and I'm glad you're here with us today. Have you ever seen anybody heading for a cliff, and you just knew they're about to make a bad decision? Maybe you saw somebody, they're, they're going to make a, a bad purchase, or they're going to maybe step into a bad relationship with somebody, or maybe they're just they're heading for a cliff because they've got some sort of relational pattern that is just working against them. And you can clearly see, man, this is not going to end well for them. <laughs> well, in those moments, do you speak up? Do you say something? And if you do say something, how does it turn out? Does the person respond well? You know, sometimes it's hard to know how they're going to respond. And uh, how about the flip side? Have you ever made a bad call? Have you been, have you done something you regret? Maybe there were people watching and they... Maybe they warned you, hey, you shouldn't do that, but you didn't want to listen. Or maybe, maybe the people around you said nothing because they were, were afraid that you'd react. I think if we just level the playing field for a moment and just, we could probably agree that we all have blind spots. We are all capable of blindly making decisions that cause problems and we, we just didn't see it coming. I think we probably all have patterns of relating that are damaging. We do things that wear people down or push people away and at the same time have no idea that that's happening. I'd like to introduce this idea a little bit more. Actually, on, during our live service on Sunday, we, uh, I've, been, I've been showing clips from a TV show that we've been watching. There's a show called All Creatures, Great and Small. And uh, the clip that I am showing today, it's, it's of a guy who really likes this one girl, but the guy's been kind of a flirt to, to a bunch of girls, and he's really hesitant to commit to any one of them. And uh, the girl he's with now, he, she, he doesn't understand why she wants to move on from the relationship until she reveals his blind spot. And so she tells him, he's like, you know, you're like, you're like a bird flying between shiny objects. The girls like to have fun with you while it lasts, but that's about it. And it's a, it's a real moment of clarity for him. And so he just says, so you're saying I'm good for a giggle, but that's about it. And she says, if you want to get more out of a relationship, you're going to have to put more in. And she's talking about sacrifice and commitment. And really, in, in the show, she's actually the only one who tells him the truth about how he's seen by the other girls. And, and she basically holds up a mirror so he can see this blind spot in himself, which is pretty painful. He nearly spirals in depression, but his character in the show does actually grow from this input. Imagine this happening in real life. How life-giving this could be for a guy if he realized his approach to dating girls needed to change. That, that could actually change his whole future. And so we're looking at this idea today because we're in a message series called Relationship Glue. <laughs> And we're, we're, we want to find out how do you make relationships really strong and cohesive so that we can enjoy being around people? What are the core New Testament commands in the Bible that makes for a very refreshing community to be a part of? And we're studying the core values of our church known as the seven heart attitudes. And today, since we all have blind spots and sometimes we need input from other people to see the damage we're causing, we're going to look at heart attitude number three, give and receive scriptural correction. And I'm just going to assume that you don't like being corrected. 
um, you know, in your life, you've, you've had probably people that have corrected you, teachers when you were younger, coaches, you know, they do a lot of correcting, supervisors at work, of course, your parents as a kid, the police. <laughs> There's all kinds of roles in life where, you know, those roles require them to correct people. And sometimes we appreciate the correction, helps us grow stronger and better. Sometimes we resent it, though. Generally, correction from any source is uncomfortable. And we have different responses. I mean, the Bible talks about all kinds of responses that we tend to have when it comes to correction. Um, Foolish people reject it. (laughs) Proverbs 15.5 says, A fool despises his father's discipline. I just, I don't want anything to do with that. Mockers get angry and hateful. A mocker is somebody that uh, think that believing in God and in the Bible is just a big joke, that it's ridiculous, that they would mock the idea of that. So mockers, when, they, when they're corrected, you know, Proverbs says, don't rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. That's pretty negative. And then actually, even one step even more damaging is the wicked respond with damage. It says the one who rebukes um, the wicked will get hurt. There's going to be some retaliation, actually, if from, from correction for somebody who's wicked and just totally living apart from God. So mostly, you know, there's, there's quite a few negative responses, but there actually is a different way for some people. The wise accept correction and grow from it. Proverbs 19.20 says, Listen to counsel and receive instruction so that you may be wise later in life. Godly people learn from correction. Gaining wisdom is really, really helpful. <laughs> and God's wisdom opens up the doors to success in life. And none of us are born with enough wisdom to handle all of life. We, God actually wired it so that we need people. We actually need input from other people if we're going to do well in life. So we get corrected. And correction, though it's painful, is something that we can appreciate. Accepting correction from people is, is helpful because the wrong decisions lead to damage. If we just are heading in a direction or we're living in a certain way, we may head it, be headed for an iceberg and we don't even realize it. It says, discipline is harsh for the one who leaves the path. The one who hates correction will die. Imagine you're driving on the freeway and you have a passenger and you're about to just go ahead and change lanes and then your passenger says, look, there's a truck! And you are about to merge right into an oncoming truck. And so you stay in your lane. And uh, maybe the correction in that moment was abrupt and harsh. What if you said, that was rude for you to shout at me like that? (laughs) That would be ridiculous. Sometimes we need to be shouted at. We need to be corrected. We don't see something in our blind spot. Also, correction, accepting correction is helpful because we often blindly feel good about our decisions. You know, sometimes we make a, we're making a decision that's going to be painful, but in the moment, it seems like the right choice. Or maybe you see somebody about to make a bad call, but to them, it just makes sense. Another verse says, There is a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way to death. Sometimes we're just going along and it just seems like the right thing. We're all susceptible to moving forward, thinking that I'm just doing what's right. Correction also is life-giving. Proverbs 15.31 One who listens to life-giving rebukes will be at home among the wise. 
we have a lot of life that's preserved and helped if we do just receive input graciously. Actually, the Bible even, in another place, the Bible says it's deadly to hate correction. When I was a kid, anytime I was at the beach and a lifeguard blew the whistle on me and my buddies, I hated it. I hated like that feeling that somebody's watching me about to, to call me out the second I step out of line. But then I, I learned recently that 98% of drownings occur on beaches where there's no lifeguard. Isn't that interesting? Maybe the correction at the beach is frustrating, but it happens to be pretty life-saving. Actually, people seem to do better when there's necessary correction. And I've been corrected on all kinds of things. Uh, at times, I've gotten into inappropriate joking, or uh, I've had an approach to marriage that was just causing a lot of extra conflict, or my approach to parenting needed correction. Or I've had just really grumpy attitudes at staff meetings. All of the times that I've been corrected have turned out to be pretty life-giving. It set me on a path that led to blessing in my relationships. Also about correction, it shows who are our faithful friends. Who are your friends that are actually faithful? The wounds of a friend are trustworthy, but the kisses of an enemy are excessive. A friend will actually say something hard. If truth is needed, a real friend is going to tell me. And I don't, I don't always like the truth. I don't like hearing the truth because, man, sometimes it hurts. It's painful. It causes a wound, like a wound of a friend here in Proverbs 27.6. But really, only a true friend would take the risk to say something hard. If you know somebody in your life who is willing to do this in a biblical way, hang on to that friend. It's pretty rare to find somebody who will actually speak up and speak the truth in a needed situation. We can actually grow to love and deeply, deeply appreciate those who put us back on track. There's a few things we would need to know about correction, though. Uh, giving correction is the role of pastors. In Titus, uh, there's this letter written by Paul to a pastor containing guidance on, on how, how do you got to get things straightened out. And uh, some of those issues are talked about in the letter. And so Paul says, proclaim these things. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. This is one of the roles of a pastor. And I've got, that means I have a responsibility before God toward people. If I see someone in our congregation that's moving into wrong, then I need, I need to tell them. That's, and if a person gets bad at me for speaking the truth, I've got to have backbone strong enough to handle it. If I let the reaction push me back and I just don't say what's needed, then I'm, I'm being unfaithful to them and to the Lord. In Hebrews, it says that pastors watch out for the souls of the people that they shepherd. And so, as a pastor, I need to lead in love and gentleness, but sometimes by giving strong direction. So this is a pastoral role. It can definitely be a stressful one, and I've, it's a role that is sometimes necessary. But you know what? You're, you listening, if you're, if you're a part of our church, you don't get off the hook that easily because giving correction is also the role of members, believe it or not. So here, you know, the coach is not the only one with the whistle. You all have a whistle that you might need to blow. You can blow the whistle on me, actually. <laughs> There may be times that I go out of bounds. I hope we all make this commitment to each other that we'll look out for each other. As Christ followers, we need to warn each other 
when we see someone drifting into disobedience. This actually is a way to genuinely care about each other's well-being. So correct, giving correction is the role of pastors and church members, and it also protects from the danger of a hardening heart. And sometimes we start drifting into disobedience and our heart gets hard to the things of God and we don't realize it. There was actually one time that I got off track when I was working a part-time job in a physical therapy clinic and the, the head uh, PT or physical therapist gave me some instructions that I didn't think was very good. He wanted me to reuse some of the equipment on multiple patients and I, I thought, you know what, this isn't right. This isn't, you know, standard practice. Of course, you know, nowadays, think cleanliness has gone through the roof. But, you know, during this time, I just thought he's just trying to save a buck by reusing some equipment. And uh, so it put me in tension. I thought my perspective was the right one. And I really didn't want to follow the authority that was over me. And so I'm like, how do, how do I fix this solution? I thought, how about I bring this tension? Because you know, first he just gave this instruction to me. But I was like, if I bring it up in a staff meeting, all the other staff members will take my side and then we'll get this sorted out the way it needs to be. <laughs> and, um, you know, this was the plan that I hatched. And most of my coworkers were not churchgoers, but there actually was one uh, girl who, who was a pretty godly woman. And she's probably actually what the verse we looked at earlier, she's, she's probably what would be called a faithful friend because she, <laughs> I mentioned my idea. And she said, I, I don't think that's a good idea. She's like, are you sure you want to say that? And I just totally blew her off. I was like, yeah, I'm, I've got the right, I've got it under control. I've got the right perspective here. I'm heading in a direction. And, uh, so I, I pursued my plan. I, I brought up this tension in a staff meeting and everyone did take my side and it pushed my boss into a corner where he had to backpedal and change, um, the guidelines that he had set up in front of everybody. And I thought, great, this is what I was hoping would happen. I just didn't know what was going to happen next. <laughs> and so I went home thinking I did everyone a service. And when I went to work the next morning, I was the first one to arrive. Boss calls me to his office and he reams me out. <laughs> he was furious about being put in that position. And uh, he said, you haven't done anything yet that I can fire you for, but the second you do anything wrong, you are out of here. And I had to work the rest of that shift in unbelievable tension. And I didn't know what to do. I was just shaky and, and just so uncomfortable. And I eventually um, got some advice from my mentor. I was actually ready to receive some correction and instruction from my pastor now. I was more open to that. And uh, he gave me the input and I listened and as I reflected back on that situation later, I thought, you know, that really was a dumb idea. And I can see why it was a dumb idea now. And I just pushed ahead. But I was like, man, I got, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I've got the Holy Spirit living inside of me. Why didn't the Holy Spirit tell me this was going to be a bad idea? Why didn't, why didn't, why wasn't I warned by God? And as I reflected, I realized I was too proud. I was too sure of myself. God, God even provided a, a friendly coworker to challenge my thinking, and I was deaf because I was persisting in my way, not open to, to anybody's input. I moved forward, and uh, it is true that when I became a Christian, the Holy Spirit entered my heart, and at that time, it's, He started generating a desire to follow God's ways and to do what's right. But on this day at work, 
I realized I can do things to make myself deaf to God's promptings and to the Holy Spirit. Later, I discovered a verse that helped me understand what happened. In Hebrews chapter 3, it says, Watch out. (laughs) I needed to watch out. It says, Watch out, brothers and sisters, so that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. He says, watch out. This actually is written to Christians, meaning we are all capable of having our hearts turn and drift. It's like, watch out. Don't trust yourself so much. Don't be so sure you're always right. And actually what happens is the longer that we entertain sin and we just, ha- we just turn over these ideas that we think are so great or just pursue those desires that are out of bounds, the more we entertain that, the more insensitive we become to God's promptings. If we just keep going in sin, we become more and more deaf. And then, after a little while, the wrong things in life seem good. We, we get deluded. Actually, the wrong thing just makes sense. I, it's not even that I'm, you know, at a certain point, it's not even that I'm, I know it's wrong and I'm going to do the wrong thing. It's like the wrong thing actually is, seems like the right way to me. And that's a really scary place to be. We can head into all kinds of disaster and destruction in that way. So the next verse shows the solution to this problem of us drifting and having our hearts turn. It says, Encourage one another daily while it is still called today so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. That word encourage, what it means, comes from a a Greek word that means to call each other forward in Christ. As a church family, God has given us the duty to keep each other on track. We've got, to wa- we've, got to, we've got to have each other's back. I've got to watch out for you. You've got to watch out for me. Imagine being a part of a group that links arms and makes this commitment. And you say, if you go off track, I'm going to let you know. And if I start going wonky, I want you to tell me. How, how strong would a co- could a community be if we make this commitment to each other? Of course, we're not responsible to make sure that Everyone does the right thing all the times, but we are at least responsible to warn people when they start drifting into sin. And in this series, I I want you to hear real stories from people in our church about the heart attitudes. And so you've, over the past few weeks, if you've been listening along, you've heard some just real life examples of people interacting with these values. I want you to hear a story right now um, from someone in our church about how they've experienced this idea of giving and receiving correction and how that really changed the outcome of their situation. So take a listen. Um, So my husband and I got married on December 22nd, um, but that was not our original wedding date. So our original wedding date was December 16th, which is just about a week before. Um, It's on a Sunday. So if you've ever planned a wedding before, you know that Sundays are a little cheaper. Um, So we, um, once we knew we were gonna get married in December, we just asked, you know, when the venue was available, booked the date. Like we knew we didn't want to get married too close to Christmas, um, but we knew with our schedules and the academic calendar that we needed to be um, getting married either in the summer or the winter. So we moved ahead with December 16th, really didn't give it a whole lot of thought other than, you know, this is what made sense to us and we needed a date. So we booked it. How did your friends from church help you realize you were off track? So in a conversation with two of our mentors, they're actually helping us with premarital counseling before we got married. Um, they had shared with us, uh, or we had shared with them rather, our wedding date, and they had just asked us, you know, how did you guys decide 
on that particular wedding date. And we just shared with them, well, you know, we want to get married in December. This is when the venue is available. We don't want it to be too close to Christmas. So we booked it. And in that process of having this dialogue with them, they helped us realize where we essentially just missed some key parts in this decision-making process. We weren't considering people. So it turns out the De December 16th date actually was a conflict for everyone that was on staff at our church. So the people that we were asking to be in our wedding or actually do the wedding itself weren't able to come. There was an event on the 16th that um, couldn't be moved. So we didn't really consider the, the community and the people around us when we planned this date. Um, so they helped us see just through asking questions that we had really had some blind spots in our decision making. And it was not a harsh conversation. It was presented out of love and care really wanting to help us um, see if we could if we could reconsider how we made our decision um, and help us consider the bigger picture of, of this choice of selecting a wedding date. Their input was really helpful in helping us um, just see our blind spots. We all have blind spots. And I think they helped us to see that we really weren't considering our attitude number one, which is putting the goals and interests of others above our own. We were really considering only what was best for us. And in doing so, we had you know, blocked the rest of our community from being able to participate and be a part of our wedding with us. Um, so their loving rebuke helped us to see areas that maybe we overlooked and help us to see that there were other options to reconsider changing our wedding date. So we had already sent out the save the dates. We had already paid for a deposit on this other date. So it was really humbling to be able to go back and change our save the dates, change our wedding date. Uh, but I'm really grateful that we did. So you just heard that story from Marie, and I love that story because it was one of the turning points for her and Mitchell where they decided they were going to start prioritizing the goals and the interests of the church community above what was just good for them only. And it's because of that, you know, input and the correction that they received. And now because of that shift, our church has really benefited. Valley Lights Church is there's a lot of good that's grown here and a lot of people that are here because of their focus on what's good for the church and really their desire to seek the kingdom of God above their own preferences. And so there's a lot of blessing that has come out of this important shift in their lives that I'm really grateful for. Check out one more story about how uh, heart attitude number three comes into play in a different context. And this is a story from Suzanne. One of the ways I began to experience heart attitude number three, when um, my husband and I were involved in our life group, a lot of times I would get a babysitter to watch our kids because they needed to go to bed at a certain time and I didn't want them to be exhausted the next day. And so um, my friend knew this and so she kindly was talking to me about this situation and in her kind way asked me why I didn't bring my kids to our life group. And I gave her my reason why, um, because I was really just wanting them to get the sleep that they needed and they needed it for school. And um, she just kindly said, well, would there be any benefit for my kids to come to life group? And 
I really didn't have an answer for that. And then she just said, why don't you give it a try? And um, I thought, well, I, I could try it. Try it once and see how it goes. And it really opened a whole new door for our family. Um, we tried once and our kids loved it. They loved being around other kids in our church community as much as my husband and I loved being at Life Group. And so um, we tried it once and then did it again the next week and again the next week. And it became something that our kids looked forward to every week as much as we did. Um, they were building relationships with other children who had the same values as we did, as well as they had babysitters that were um, younger adults that cared for them and loved them and loved God too. And so they got to see God through their leaders, their babysitters, and it was a really amazing time. And it really allowed um, our whole family to connect with our church community, not just my husband and I. You know, I was really thankful for my friend who in a very kind and loving way um, asked a question that um, no one had asked me. Um, she was brave enough to kind of correct me um, in a kind way, but really helped me to see that um, there was so much more benefit that I wasn't allowing into our life um, because I thought I was protecting our kids, but really I was hindering all of our growth. Um, and so I'm really thankful that she loved me enough to ask those hard questions and cause me to think through really what I was doing and whether it really was best for our family. So by now, you might be open to the idea that correction is a necessary part of church life. And maybe you're thinking, all right, so I need to correct people. I need to make sure people stay on track. And this is my chance to finally give that guy a piece of my mind. <laughs> okay, so I just want you, you can't walk out of this room and, and start correcting everyone, start just smacking everybody upside the head. That's, that's not the way this goes. Heart attitude number three says we give and receive scriptural correction meaning the Bible has a whole lot of clear boundaries about how this is to be done. Before anything, there needs to be an atmosphere of love. That has to come first. And there's a few ways to create this necessary atmosphere. One is to give others grace. Sometimes we just need to bear with people. <laughs> Colossians chapter 3 talks about this. I've got to remember I've got my own warts. I've got my own annoying patterns. I, I'm still growing, and I'm still a sinner in need of life transformation. I'm, I'm becoming more and more like Christ as we go, but I, I'm not like him yet all the way. God has been very gracious and patient with me. Remembering that helps me to be gracious and to bear with other people. Not everything needs to be corrected. Also, an atmosphere of love comes when we're quick to forgive. Sometimes we want to correct people because they wronged us and that turns into bitterness and anger and I need to get back at you. Well, Jesus gave us a very stern warning really to anyone that's unwilling to forgive. That's very dangerous territory. So in view of the forgiveness I've received from God, we forgive others. An atmosphere of love comes when we're humble and gentle. 
Galatians chapter 6 talks about this. Being around someone who's really arrogant and uh, someone who thinks that they're superior and faultless, that's really annoying. (laughs) That's no fun. Instead of being proud and justified and I know what everyone ought to be doing, instead we need to choose humility, gentleness, and compassion. This really needs to be the atmosphere of our group. And then one more way to set up the stage and the right atmosphere is we might consider the 90-10 ratio. 90% encouragement, 10% correction. I would actually be disappointed if our church developed a flavor of correction. And you walk in and you're just waiting to get smacked by somebody. No, no, I, I still want our group to have the flavor of encouragement. And so this 90-10 principle means if I think a correction is needed for somebody, and I'm like, I, I, I may need to speak up here. Well, I've got nine encouragements to go. <laughs> nine ways to really edify and build up that person. So once the stage is set for an atmosphere of love, here's practically how to give correction. Now, this, this is some real practical stuff. Look at Colossians 3. Let the word of Christ dwell in you rich, richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Letting the word dwell in me richly means that I've got to have a steady pattern of learning and applying God's word to my life. My understanding and my walk with Jesus needs to be constantly deepening. And if that's happening, then I I begin to have a better idea of what does need to be corrected, what needs to be bared with, what needs to be forgiven. The phrase, with all wisdom, would indicate that I got to be wise about this. I got to get the facts first about the situation, about the person. I got to make sure I have a complete picture before I just go in guns blazing. I need to get accurate information and I need to pray and ask God for the right timing. I want to do this in a way that is wise and is pleasing to God. And if correction is needed, I must correct based on scripture. I shouldn't correct based on my personal preferences about what music you ought to be listening to or how you dress or the way that you talk and be all nitpicky about things. Whatever the issue, if I'm going to correct, it needs to be a clear violation of Scripture, not just my strong opinions about things. Because my opinion and the Bible are not the same thing. (laughs) Um, Also, we correct based on patterns. Everyone makes mistakes. And a single mistake, maybe I just need to bear with a person. I don't need to carry a hammer waiting to smash down on everything, but I'll make sure that there's a pattern. And if someone can, you know, repeats this thing, it may be very appropriate to, to, to um, correct. The, the only exception would be if someone's on the edge of a cliff about to jump off and do something really dangerous, like get in, you know, stepping into sexual immorality or uh, linking up with a dangerous person or, or getting into damaging drugs. Those would be times to step in more quickly. And and as far as correction goes, the motive for correcting makes all the difference. We need to correct to help, not to hurt. Sometimes the desire to to correct comes out of a desire for revenge, to react out of my anger or my pride. The right motive means I'll plan gracious words that are going to really help people. Even though it may feel like tearing them down, but it it will actually build them up if, if that's the goal. Also, generally, it's best to correct privately. Correcting somebody in front of a big group could be really embarrassing 
or it could put them on the defensive and set them off for set them up for a major standoff, like put them in a really defensive position. And so if to get an idea of what a conversation might actually look like, I'd like to give you an example from the book that we've been reading uh, about the heart attitudes. There's this great, it's almost like a script that would help me frame up and prepare a correction that I might need to give. It's very, very practical. And so um, you can listen to this now, but also go back to the book that we're reading as a church. So here, here's what it could sound like. Hey, you know, I've, I've been concerned about something that relates to you. Uh, I'd like to tell you what seems to be happening to me, and then I'd love to hear your feedback. Starting that way is uh, it's a little bit more of a considerate way to start, knowing that I'd like to get some feedback. And I might say, you know, I've, I've noticed a few times that you've done this thing. And I'd just spell out what it was. Um, did I notice that correctly? And asking a question like that helps me make sure whether or not I actually did miss something or if I misread a situation. And uh, if, if they agree that, you know, they've done that, then uh, I, I might say, I, I think, I do think you want to do what's right before the Lord. But from what I know of Scripture, that thing is not right because, well, here's what God's Word says about that issue. What are your thoughts about this? And then we can dialogue a little bit about it. I can hear how they respond to that thing. And I might say, well, since this thing that you're doing is not right, I mean, what, what do you think you might be able to do instead? Dialogue about it a little bit more and not really sure how they'll respond, but in the end, hey, thanks for hearing me out. I really do care about you. And uh, when, even when if I give this as an example, conversation, even just hearing it might make you feel uncomfortable to, to visualize being in that situation. It'll be really difficult. Um, and we don't know how the person will respond, which means I need to be prepared for anger or rejection as a possibility. Conversation like this, may a person may take offense. And, and I might say, you know what? I didn't bring this up to hurt you. I, I really do want to be loyal to you and be committed to the good of our relationship in our community. And that, that's why I brought it up. And later on, as I think about that person, if, if they did respond negatively or even attack back, um, I won't resent them. I'll just pray for them. So that would be how to give correction. But what do you find yourself on the receiving end? Maybe somebody comes to you with something. Ooh. Well, first off, I need to control myself. <laughs> even the gentlest correction really stings. Sometimes correction makes me feel depressed or discouraged. I've had that happen. Uh, if I get corrected, then I really know that it's true. But usually correction damages my pride, and that can lead to resentment, and then that can lead to anger. For many, correction, it just makes our blood boil, even if it's small. So i got to settle down and keep listening. You can see Proverbs 29.11 for that. Also, I might ask, who is the person correcting me? Does this person walk with God? If they do, I should take this input seriously. That kind of person, a person who walks with God, is described in Psalm 141.5. says, let a righteous man strike me. It's a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It's oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. So the righteous person, man, that means we need to be open and accepting of that. 
somebody who is careful to walk with God. Also in that verse, you see the word strike. <laughs> Let him strike me. And the Hebrew word for strike means to beat with a fist or a hammer. Ouch, that, that sounds really painful. And the psalmist says, let him strike me. He invites it, which, which means if I'm getting corrected, one thing I cannot do is to demand nicer treatment. It's really tempting to say, well, if you would have just said it in a nicer way, I'd listen. But since you didn't, this is just totally unreasonable, which would be our way of getting out of it. That's our good excuse to get out of it. But the truth is, if I wait for correction to be given exactly according to my preferences, I'm probably going to miss God's attempts to redirect me, and I'm going to eat the consequences. Another thing, we can, we can see correction as a gift. If it does come, instead of seeing it as a punishment, we can see it as a gift. Because correction, when we respond well, it does actually help us. If I get corrected on let's say, an an annoying pattern that pushes people away from me, and I don't realize that, man, that correction is a gift. The rest of my life will be blessed as a result of that. Correction is also one of God's major channels for us in learning wisdom, to learn the things that's going to make life, life successful. It usually comes from correction. So I can thank a person for their loyalty to me. And then finally, one way to respond is to consider the correction and pray over it. Sometimes we react before we totally understand what's being said. And it's easy to get defensive instantly, and that's not helpful. If I get corrected, maybe I know right away it's legitimate, or maybe I'm not sure, but, you know, I can say, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray about this. Thank, thank you for the input. I'm going to pray about this and ask God to confirm if that's true. And if I pray, God, please show me. He will help me. He has confirmed some things that I've needed to hear. So this whole value of giving and receiving correction, this is pretty unusual. And if you're kind of new to Valley of Lights, you might be thinking, this is not what I expected to hear about today. This seems kind of out there. Not a lot of people talk about this idea because it's really uncomfortable. The sad reality is that if we're proud and unwilling to receive input, we will fall. We will hit the iceberg in life, and we're going to have a rough future. Our future depends on how well we engage correction. But if we're open and grateful for correction, then we can avoid disaster and find a lot of blessing, and we'll increase our understanding of how life works. This heart attitude is set within the context of a whole set of values. All seven heart attitudes need to be working together. This one doesn't work that great if it's isolated. Um, So, you know, the first heart attitude we looked at was to put the goals and interests of others above my own. That means right off the bat, we need relationships where we are genuinely for each other. I'm going to actually consider you. I'm going to lower myself and elevate your interests. Then we also need to live, heart attitude number two, live an honest, open life before others. That means between you and me, there's integrity. I'm getting to know the real you. There's no games between us. There's no pretense. We're just living open lives. We're for each other. We're living open. And then number three, we can give and receive scriptural correction. This is a commitment that we make to have each other's backs. Next week, we're going to look at heart attitude number four. 
And this next one is really helpful because you probably know that your relationships get messed up sometimes. There's conflict or there's offense. And the truth is, as we move on in life, we're going to step on each other's toes, sometimes unintentionally, or sometimes we really do say something hurtful and offensive. All of the values that we've, we're looking at, they don't work unless there's a way for things to get cleared up. Without clearing things up, what we end up with is a trail of broken relationships behind us. Problem conflict arises, there's damage, we cut them off or they cut us off, and then we move on from that person. This next heart attitude allows us to bring things back together so that we can enjoy people with greater depth over the years. So I really hope that you'll join us next week. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this value. This is, it truly is uncomfortable and getting corrected and giving correction generally is not on the top list of fun things to, fun ways to spend a weekend, but it's so needed and it's so life-giving. And you know what, Lord, you've, you've put us in relationships so that we are dependent and need each other. You've, you've made it so that we help each other along. And through that, there's a lot of deep gratitude and appreciation that we have for one another and for your truth. And so would you guide us in this? Help us to help this value to grow up in our community, but in the right way, with the right motives, out of an atmosphere of love and consideration. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For those of you watching online, if you're new to Valley Lights, a great way for you to connect with us is to fill out a connection card. And it only takes about a minute. You can find that on your screen. Um, and you can use that form to let us know about anything going on in your life or to sign up for events uh, or just to let us pray for you. To access that connection card, you can find the link on your screen right now. Also, if you'd like to support Valley Lights, you can give today. The money that we receive each week, it goes towards our mission of helping people find God and walk with Him. And so this is just really a, a time and a reminder for us to give back to God for the many ways that He's providing for us. And so you can donate by clicking the, the button on your screen as well or going to the giving page on our website. Really glad that you were here today. I hope it was helpful for you watching or listening. And thanks for taking some time out of your day to join us for church. Have a great week.